शृणुयाम देवा भद्रं पश्ये मोक्षभीजत्रा स्वस्तीन्द्रो वृद्धस्रवास्तीषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तीर्णस्ताक्षने स्वस्तिनो बृहस्पतिर्दा शांति 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 मे वी हियर विथ अवर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस मे वी सी विथ अवर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस वाई प्रेम विथ स्टडी लिम्स मे वी अटेन द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्टो वेल बी नोन अस May Pushan, the God of the Earth, who is all knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the Destroyer of Evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati also bestow well-being on us. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So, in the last class, we started with the first mantra. Of the first chapter, of the first part of Munda Upanishad, we studied the mantra in details. We will just have a quick recapitulation of the mantra, so as to link it with the second mantra, with which we will start our discussion after having a short recapitulation of the first mantra. Om Brahma Devana Prathama Sambhava. विश्वस्य कर्ता भुवनस्य गोप्ता स ब्रह्म विद्याद्या प्रतिष्ठा अथर्वाय ज्येष्ठपुत्रा प्राह सो द फर्स्ट लाइन ब्रह्मा देवाना प्रथम संभव सो एज वी वेडिंग इन डिटेल्स ब्रह्मा दिस डिफरेंस बिटवीन ब्रह्मन एंड ब्रह्मा द ब्रह्मन स्पीक्स ऑफ the absolute reality which because of ignorance when appears as this phenomenal existence its first evolute is the cosmic mind from which the entire universe has projected the cosmic mind is being designated as brahma which in other parts of the upanishads has also been designated as hiranya garbha garbha means um hiranya means golden effulgent so why it is called the effulgent um because it is not the matter from which the universe has evolved just the way from the um a sentient being comes into existence so from the womb of the cosmic mind which is intelligence and intelligence alone from that The entire universe has emanated, and it's not only the this universe which has emanated from the cosmic mind, the Brahma. Even the way to go beyond the phenomenal existence, 
with the evolution of the mind, the phenomenal existence comes into being within which we are as if in the matrix. That why we get deluded. You know, there's a if you have seen the English movie called Matrix, that what's the difference between virtual reality and matrix? That in virtual reality is like watching the movie, watching the screen. I know that it is virtual, I am something separate from it. But imagine if I were one of the characters within the movie, then it becomes very difficult to realize that I am also a part of the virtual reality. So that's the idea of the matrix, that though we are within that virtual reality, as we are being, are being deluded, we are as if not the observer, we have become a part of it. But when the creation comes into existence, at, that, at, at the very inception of the creation, there is the plan to come out of it. And that's the idea of the Brahma Vidya. That Brahma Vidya came from the cosmic mind itself, from Brahma. It's not the uh, a, a product of human intelligence. It has not been authored by any human being. It's the Brahma from whom this Brahma Vidya has emanated. We find in all the scriptures that the source of all the knowledge is inspiration. It has been inspired. It has as if came from some higher source. So here also we find that's the thing which is indicated in the second line. Sa Brahma Vidya, that Brahma, he has imparted that Brahma Vidya, which is Sarva Vidya Pratishtham, which is the foundation of all the knowledge. Because all the knowledge comes from that original intelligence, that the causal intelligence. The idea is that just the way if you know the essence of all the golden ornaments is gold, you know the essence of each and every ornament. Its only difference is in the name and form. That's what we were studying in the last class. That yena srutam srutam bhavati amatam matam avidyatam vidyatam in Chandogya Upanishad, the Brahma Vidya has been described as that Yena Asrutan, that by which what is never heard becomes heard, that which is never thought becomes thought, thought of, that which is uh, uh, never known, Avidyatam, that becomes known. So for this, we need the teaching of the scriptures because it is not something palpable by the five senses. The, the scriptures are there to inspire us. And that scriptures, again, is not authored by any human being. It is a paurashaya. There's no author. It's the eternal knowledge which emanates from Brahma. The Brahma, in this sloka, as has been indicated, that first he imparted this knowledge to his eldest son, whose name is Atharva. So his son, his eldest son, Atharva, Brahma imparted this knowledge. What's the import of this? That if we just don't take it literally, the idea is that this knowledge 
is not something imaginary. It's not something in mere visualization. It's the knowledge which has came from the original intelligent source through succession of parampara. Parampara means a spiritual, uh, just the way we have biological inheritance, there is spiritual inheritance from the guru to the shishya, the spiritual inheritance flows. So here also we will find in the second slope mantra that inheritance will be spoken of that this Brahma Vidya, first Brahma important to Atharva and then the second mantra will indicate that how it has came down through the generation of spiritual succession to the humankind. So the second mantra, what it says, let us enter into the second mantra. Atharvani yam pravadita brahma atharva tam puravaja angire brahma vidyam sa bharadvajaya satya vahaya praha bharadvaja angirase parapara. So this Upanishad we will find that it's the Rishi Angirasa to whom uh, a, this Shonaka, a very renowned, rich householder who has developed some dispassion, will approach to Angirasa. Who, who will approach? Shonaka. He is a householder who has satisfied his household duties and in the process have developed a sense of detachment, sense of renunciation, and with that renunciation, he will approach Angirasa for the Brahmavidya, for the knowledge of Brahman. And then, then the Upanishad starts. It's a conversation between Angirasa and Shonaka. Now, naturally the question comes, when Angirasa is replying to Shonaka's question, is it his own uh, imagination or visualization? All the things which he's saying, is it the product of his fertile brain? or is it authentic? So to prove the authenticity of this knowledge, the second mantra speaks of the succession through which this knowledge came down from the original source, the Brahma. So what it is saying, Atharvani Yam Pravadeta Brahma, what Brahma told to Atharva. Atharva Tam Puravacha Angire Brahmavitya. So <clears throat> that, that knowledge Atharva transmitted to Angira, Rishi Angira. And then Sa Bharadvajaya, Bharadvajaya, Satyavahaya, Praha. So then, then this Rishi Angira, that he transmitted it to his disciple. His name is Satyavaha who belong to the family of Bharadwaja lineage. From the Bharadwaja lineage family, one called Satyavaha, he got the knowledge from Angira. Atharva transmitted to Angira, Angira transmitted to Satyavaha, and from Satyavaha, it came to Angirasa, the Rishi of this Upanishad, who is going to transmit this knowledge to Shonaka. So that's what is indicated, that Angirasa, this Bharadwaja Angirase Parabaram. 
So this para-avara word is very important in the Upanishad. Para-avara means it came through the succession of the guru and the disciples. Para-avara. It also means this Upanishad will start with the conception, with the idea of higher knowledge, para-vidya and apara-vidya, the so-called lower knowledge or in a more specific way, the spiritual knowledge and the secular knowledge. So these two ideas will come. So according to some of the commentators, Paravara means that this knowledge of the uh, spiritual knowledge as well as the secular knowledge, both this knowledge was transmitted through the succession of this guru and disciple starting from Brahma. Brahma, Atharva, Angira, Satyavaha, Angiras. So why the Upanishad starts by speaking of this lineage? To prove its authenticity. That any knowledge first has to prove that it is authentic. When I'm reading a science book, there also the question of its authenticity comes. That whether it's a well-researched subject, whether it's some scientist who is well-known, reputed, from whom this knowledge have gradually been derived to succession of research work, that's what we also go for. So here also we find to prove first to have the authenticity of the knowledge, this succession of Guru Shishya Parampara has been spoken of. So this mantra as such has no any inner significance, it's just to highlight the significance of parampara, that no spiritual knowledge can be attained without this parampara, without the succession of guru and shishya, which speaks of the authenticity of the knowledge, uh, that no knowledge as such can be uh, attained. You cannot attain any knowledge. The two things, I have to follow the lineage, and following the lineage, I myself have to realize. And once we realize, then only it can be transmitted to the next generation. So one has to be strong have to follow the parampara, and then he has to be then atmavit. He has to realize that parampara with as well as atmavit. So these are the two requisitions to allow the Guru Shishya lineage to follow without any prayer. So now we'll go to the third mantra from where the Upanishad really starts. So the question answer session will be, will, will begin, will start from this third mantra. So here another character, the Shonaka comes into existence. Shonaka Hawaii, Mahashala, Angirasan, Vidhivat, Upasannaha, so Shonaka, who is Shonaka? He is Mahashala. He is a Grihastha, a householder of great repute. He is Mahashala. He is a householder of great repute. So he, what he does? Vidhivat Upasanna. With all due uh, what you say that injunctions, rules, he approaches this Rishi, Angirasa, who is Brahmavid, who is the knower of Brahman. 
So Shaunaka, the great householder, the great Grihastha, having duly approached, he has duly approached Zangirasa. What the duly approach means, that we will try to uh, understand by resorting to the Shankaracharya's commentary. So what that Vidhivat, what are the prerequisites to approach a guru so that I can just really get the benefit of the knowledge which is transmitted. That just as in our academic course, just to get admitted in some uh, professional course, we need some basic qualification. Here also for entering into the spiritual inquisitions, the spiritual search, there are some basic prerequisites. So that speaks of the Vidhiva, all the things he has already followed. Following that, he's approaching the group. We will come to what are those uh, prerequisites required for inquiring about the Brahmavidya. We will uh, just start. First, let us just try to understand the literal meaning of the sloka. So, Shodaka, following all the injunctions, duly approached Angirasa. And then the second line speaks of the question which he puts to Rishi Angirasa. Kasminu Bhagavo Vikyate, Sarvam Idam Vikyatam Bhagavati. But what is that, O Bhagavan? That Bhagavo means O Bhagavan, the one who has all the this good qualities, the Bhagavan. So to him, he approaches Kasmenu Bhagavo Vikyati, O Bhagavan. That by what is that by knowing which everything becomes known? Kasminu Bhagavo Vigyate Sarvam Idam Vigyatam Bhavatiti. What is that? Oh, the great one, which being known, all thing becomes known. So that's the question he puts. So with that, the Upanishad starts. So now, here the word, as we told, the Vidhivat according to the scriptural injunction, you have to approach the Guru. So what are the scriptural injunction? That firstly, the seeker should follow the requisite spiritual discipline. It's not mere academic knowledge. You have to follow some spiritual discipline, get established in that to a certain extent. You have to, have to internalize some of the spiritual values then only you can approach the guru and ask the question because it is not mere intellectual knowledge the knowledge which will be imparted has to do with the overhauling of our personality total transformation of our personality it has to be something practiced within it's the laboratory is the human psyche so we have to practice something by internalizing those things. So here the prerequisite is certain disciplines. So what are those disciplines? That Shankaracharya in a very uh, nutshell have described the sadhana, the sadhana chatushtaya. It's something which we will find is described in uh, many of the uh, Vedangas, means in, in many of the spiritual treatises. This Chadhana Chatushtaya. 
what are they? The first, the sadhana chatushtaya means the four spiritual disciplines, chatushtaya, four. So there are main four spiritual disciplines. What are they? First is Vedadhyayam, studying the Vedas, or we can say studying the scriptures. Then what is this? Then after this, after that, this after becoming this, the first, sorry, the first is Vedadhyayana. After this comes the Sadhana Chatushtaya. Vedadhyayana is not a part of the Sadhana Chatushtaya. So that is the first practice, Vedadhyayana. And then comes Sadhana Chatushtaya. What are they? Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhamadishap, Sampatti, and Mumukshutvam. Though it is speaking of four, Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhamadi, Viveka is the first, Vairagya second, Samadhamadi, Shak, Sampatti third, Mumukshutva fourth. Though it speaks of four, the third one, the Samadhamadi, Shak, Sampatti, it means Shamadhamma, X and other. In total, Samadhamma, including Samadhamma, six practices. Samadhamadi Shat Sampati, six treasures. Samapas Shat Sampati. The six treasures has to be practiced. What are those six treasures? We will come one by one. So these ones should have this prerequisite that he should have studied the scriptures and he should be sadhana chatushtaya sampanna. So he should have the fourfold spiritual treasures. First, Vedabhyayana that he should study the scriptures. And that also by following the parampara. It's not just by own, by your own. Just the way in our academic uh, education, I cannot think of becoming a doctor just by reading the books of the medical science. I have to be in the medical college. And those professors under whose guidance I have to, have to learn, because it's not what written in the book is the experience of the doctors that has to be related with what's written in the book. Otherwise, there will be a gap in understanding. It's never possible just to learn by my own by reading the books. For any academic education, we know the teacher plays a great role. His experience has to be related with the words of the text. And then only we can grasp the text in its correct uh, import. Otherwise, we will be misguided. Uh, we, there will be a lot of misunderstanding. So that's why the parampara has to follow, be followed. And what this Vedadhyana helps us? By studying the Vedas, the first thing that will happen, we become aware of the spiritual dimension of our existence. So that's the main purpose of the scripture. Any religion, the scripture serves that purpose. That the knowledge which we get through the five senses, scripture is not meant for that. There is some truth, the real truth, which is beyond the perception of the five senses. And for that knowledge, we have to resort to the scriptures and not only resorting to the scripture, that has to be done under the proper guidance so that I can understand the scripture in its correct import. Otherwise, there's a chance of misunderstanding. So after the Vedadhyana, then comes the Sadhana Chatushtaya. 
the fourfold spiritual treasures that we have to practice, not only practice, we have to internalize. Sampanna means you become uh, one who is the upholder of these uh, four types of spiritual practices. He has inculcated them. What are those four, four practices? First is Viveka. Now, when I read the scriptures, I get aware of the spiritual dimension of my existence. The question of discrimination of what is eternal and what is transitory is bound to come. Just in the Vedanta, that's the thing which is spoken of. And you just go to any religion, that's the first thing which is going to happen. That that the, the real existence is not this world of phenomenal existence, that our real existence is in the spiritual dimension of our existence, that any religion will speak of that. So this Viveka speaks of this discrimination, that what is real and what is unreal. Nitya, Nitya, Vastu, Vichara, Viveka. Nitya, Anitya that what is real and what is unreal. That this world is ephemeral, it's ever-changing, it's a flow. Is there something beyond this flow, beyond this change, beyond this ephemeral existence? That's the idea which we got through the study of the scriptures. And that helps us to develop that discrimination. So that's why first comes the study of the scriptures. And from that develops the discrimination. Once the discrimination comes, when I know that there is a dimension of my existence, which is eternal, and that's my real identity. What else I see is just a false identification. I'm taking the reflection to be the real, and I'm getting identified with it. That has to be discarded. So from Viveka comes Vairagya, renunciation. So that's the second practice. And each, this, all these follow one after the other. First, the Vedadhyana results in Viveka. Viveka results in Vairagya. What is that? Iha Amutra Falabhoga Viraga is Vairagya. Iha Amutra. That we will find that happiness is always a future tense. Amutra means in heaven. Let us forget heaven. Even in this present life, we will find that happiness is always a future tense. A small child, the parent says, study well, you will get chance in selective school, you will be happy. In selective school, when he is, still you have to study well. Otherwise, you won't get chance in the professional courses. And if you get chance, you will be happy. It's future. When you are in the professional course, study well again, because you have to get a good job after you complete. Again, it's future tense. When you get a good job, now you have to settle. You have to, when you become a family man, you will be happy. When you're a family man, again, you find the children are there. When they grow, you will be happy. And at last, in old age, we resort to religion with the idea that after death, after death, there's something post-mortem existence is there where we will be happy. So Amurtha speaks of that always that future tense which we keep for happiness here and in future always we are expecting follow that result that what i do 
for that i will incur something which will give me happiness so i am constantly deluded with this i am the one who is an eternal existence unchanging is the eternal witness is always in the eternal present it is because of ignorance we get identified with our psychophysical existence and from that this constant hankering for the results of the action ensues and constantly we are postponing our happiness happiness to something future in something in future so that's being indicated as eha amutra phala bhoga virama that has to stop this eternal hankering this ever chasing after the pleasures of life the sense of pleasures of life from viveka that has to fall the vairagya has to come if this world is a flow it is ephemeral if it is not real then clinging to it makes no sense so gradually have to develop a sense of dispassion from viveka comes vairagya so this after for the of the first four the two practices are the viveka and the vairagya the third is samadhamadi shak sampatti the six treasures the six practices which are as good as treasures what are they shama dhamma and after that comes uparati titiksha shraddha samadhana and shraddha sama dhamma uparati titiksha samadhana shraddha what are they actually sama speaks of the calmness of the mind curbing of the mind controlling the mind and dhamma speaks restraining of the senses very interesting first comes the control of the mind if i not if i am not controlling the mind and trying to control my senses that speaks of repression sometimes in that we find you go to the psychologist they say that you shouldn't repress your impulses yes we shouldn't repress it will result in psychological aberrations lots of psychological aberrations happen because of the repression what that because of the fear of the society the social society has certain norms my impulses are uh, not conforming to the social norms so i repress them that of course is going to result in psychological aberrations so in the scripture first they say you have to control the mind not the senses when you know that there is there is a spiritual dimension of your existence with the full conviction you know that i have to develop dispassion so first comes the control of the mind through that dispassion gradually i try to calm down the mind that i find that all the desire first comes in sankalpa i just first take a sankalpa i wish i take a, i there's a will i will do this i will do that so sama speaks of that to take care of that sankalpa don't take that sankalpa that this in eternal chasing after the pleasures so i have to go for this pleasure for that pleasure this sankalpa has to be stopped so first comes that when i stop that then i find because of my past samskara though i am not chasing after the desires but my past latent impressions of the mind they won't lead me just the way that you were feeding a cat for many days for many days for years together 
and one day you decide you won't take care of it anymore. When you, when you sit down for your meal, you will find that the cat is not going to leave you. It has been pampered for such a long time. It will just come and will be just, will be just trying to draw your attention for food. Will be constantly pestering for that. That's what is the nature of anything which is domesticated. So we have domesticated our mind for such a long time. It has become our pet. When I say no more, I'm not going to entertain you anymore. It's not going to leave us. Just like the your, your domesticated cat or dog, it's not going to leave you. You have pampered it for such a long time. So now it will be after you. So that speaks of restraining of the senses, the dhamma. Shama speaks of controlling the mind. When I have first done that, my past impulses, my past samskaras won't leave me. They will force me, drag me. So now to certain extent, I have to practice this restraining of the external sense organs, the karmendriyas and the kyanendriyas, both the organs of action as well as the organs of perception. That I still remember one of our Swamis told a very interesting thing that in the modern age, you just walk down the road, you are bound to see so many things. There are these advertisements, hoardings, you go to the tram, bus, the way people are dressing, everything, and how can you avoid? So we told that, that we are supposed to practice Shama Dhamma. How is it possible in the present age? So he replied very nicely. Let's see, you cannot avoid seeing something when you are in the world. You are bound to see so many things. But then how can we practice? Yes. After seeing something, you feel that you are almost forced to see it for the second time. What came by chance, I cannot avoid. But again, you turn around to see it, know it for certain. That's where the question of control comes, control of the senses comes. So we will find that that's that even in the present world, that's the thing which we have to be very, very careful about. That we are afraid of the virus. But in the society, the real virus is something which is within us. What's that? You go to the any type of social media. The entire social media is actually virus. Why? The virus will be attacking you to sustain itself. The entire social media is running on that. They know our weakness and that based on that, like virus, they have spread. And if we fall a prey of it, it is we who are lost. So just the way if you have strong immunity, the virus will be there. I cannot eradicate the virus. I have to develop strong immunity. Then only I can save myself from the virus. Similarly here, many people will be blaming the social media. It's like virus is there. The Facebook, the Twitter, they're like virus. You can be totally exploited by them. But there also the question of immunity comes. If they will be there, it is if I am strong enough not to be lured by them. So there comes the Shamadamadi Shaksampati, the Dhamma. 
I have once decided and don't again, I won't resort to it. So in many ways, this, this, this all the restraining of the external organs in every age, the way we have to practice it, that may change. But the thing remains the same. Or at last, it is the restraining of the external organs, whether it is the organs of the perception or the organs of action, like our hands, feet, this, or what is it, this hand, feet, this organ of speech, organ of evacuation, organ of excretion and reproduction. These are the five karmendriyas. And what are the five uh, gyanendriyas? The eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and the skin. So through this, constantly we are interacting with the world. So that has to be restrained. Otherwise, we can never think of internalizing the spiritual truths. It remains just as a matter of our academic interest. So after Dhamma comes Uparati. That yes, to a certain extent, I have, I'm capable of restraining myself. But I will find that now and then I am caught unaware. My mind has a tendency to again go back to its old way, to drift back to the respective objects, its old way of living. It again goes back. So there again, I have to be careful. That again and again, I have to bring them back. Uparati. I have to again bring that back to the Shama and Dhamma. So this speaks of the third practice, Uparati, that cessation of the sense organs already restrained. I have already restrained by Shama and Dhamma. And then again, when it tends to again go back, drift back, I seize them. I bring them back. So that's why we say in English, the uh, proverb is there. The prize of purity is vigilance. So you have to be very vigilant. Always you have to be vigilant. There has to be a security guard in your mind, always standing there, only to allow something which is desirable and not allow those which are not desirable. So that's for that. There should be a security guard always standing there, vigilant in your mind. The fourth practice is the titiksha. Titiksha is perseverance. So this perseverance that when I am on my spiritual journey, a lot of hindrances will come. Instead of trying to mend them, I have to forbear. Non-resistance is a very important factor in spiritual life. Because the moment you react, it is your psyche which is getting disturbed. The suffering never comes from the happenings of life. All the suffering comes from the reaction. The moment you react, you suffer. So Titiksha speaks of practicing that for years where I don't react. How to do it? Very nicely in Vivek Churavani, Shankaracharya has given the definition of Titiksha. What is that? Sahanam Sarvadukhana Apratikara Purvakam Chinta Vilaparahitam Sa Titiksha Nidatyate. Sahanam Sarvadukhana. I forbear with all the sufferings of life. Sarvadukhana. Apratikara purvakam. Without trying to mend them. The next line is very important. Chinta vilapa rahitam. Sometimes, most of the time, we find the situation is such that I have to forbear, but internal grudge is there. 
I'm cursing others. Not only that, I'm having a lot of worries and tensions. What will happen? What will happen? I don't know. So though I am not trying to mend this situation, but internally, the chinta vilava, all those worries and tensions are going on. So there I have to be careful. Chinta vilava rahitam. My forbearance without trying to mend the thing, without trying to reform, has to be accompanied with without any worries and tension. Then only it is so this is really a very, very important practice as per our spiritualized concept. Why? That after all, for any spiritual practice, I have to be dhira, calm. The psyche has to be unperturbed. Just the way the external objects, sensual objects, lures me and disturbs my psyche, objects of my sense gratification. Similarly, the suffering can also disturb my psyche. By how? By reacting to them. So if I have to keep my psyche calm, if I have to really go beyond the duality of joy and so this titiksha also becomes a very important factor in a spiritual life. The Sri Ramakrishna had his own way to, this, to define Titiksha. He used to say, Sha, 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 Je, Shoy, She, Roy, Je, Na, Shoy, She, Ta, Na, Shoy. In Bengal, he's playing pun with the words, but very interesting. What he's saying, Sha, Sha, Sha. In all the Indian languages, you will find there are three Sa. One Sa, you, you have to just touch the tongue with the upper or uh, part of the upper jaw, the teeth, upper teeth, means just an upper jaw when the tongue touches, that is called dantasya, that is touching the teeth, upper part of the teeth. So that is one sound. And another sound is the hissing sound, where the middle of your tongue touches the palate. And another sound is the tip of the tongue rolls to touch the palate. So that is the three types of sha. As per the pronunciation, there are three types of sha in all uh, in our Sanskrit and other Indian regional languages. So now Ramakrishna had his own way of playing pun with the words. He says, you know why there are three sha? To stress the need of sahya. Sahya means forbearance. In Bengal it is, he's saying shoy. Shoy means shudjapad, to sahana, to forbear. That is why there are three S. To, to stress the need of forbearance. And then what is saying? Jay Shoy, Shera, the one who can forbear, he, he can integrate his life. Jay Nashoy, Tar Nashoy, the one who cannot forbear, his life disintegrates. It's a very interesting thing that you will find. It's a, it's a really something which is uh, the a very, very Real, a, a truth in our life. How? In most of the cases we will find what happens that in our attempt to mend the situation, we find that things have become worse. Things have become worse. In 99% case, 
in may there are circumstances where i can mend the situation of course i should go for it out of 100 there are one or two cases where i can mend the situation of course i should do for i should go for it but in 98 to 99% of the cases you will find there is no way out all the family disintegration everything happens when we were supposed to forbear we sort of somehow didn't have that capacity we didn't have developed that part of our character and unnecessarily we reacted and instead of mending the situation it went for worse that very nicely it is being indicated that what happens in most of the cases in our life most probably we were being tormented on the on a, in a frying pan and we jump out of it to fall in the oven so that's what happens with us in most of the cases in our life so we will find that titiksha do have a great role to play that's the thing in the name of freedom today we never give importance to that that i have of course the freedom to do whatever i wish but if i am not responsible if i have not developed the responsibility the ability to respond that is responsibility responsibility means the ability to respond i respond out of impulse and i take it to be freedom how nice the simple words that freedom is not freedom of the senses freedom is freedom from the senses we take freedom as freedom of the senses we become impulsive react and we find the situations have actually went for worse if i would have somehow what is what you say for for beer had that forbearance to deliver the situation calmly the situations would have been much better it would have not disturbed my life the way it has disturbed so titiksha do has a great significance in our day to day life and that's the thing which has been indicated here sahana to develop that capacity it's very much important in our day to day life we will find that why we do not have forbearance in a situation what we there is nothing to do the thing which has happened i cannot mend and we'll constantly thinking of it and that will be disturbing my psyche and based on that i will be thinking of some solution which is not at all practical i think it is practical but it is most impractical my internet has been clouded i what the decision i am going to take i see only the way i want to see there are so many other factors which is actually going to make it worse that's not visible to me at all and i simply jump for it and i find that i have actually made the situation worse it has disturbed the external balance and it has also disturbed my equanimity in both the way so titiksha is a very important practice so after titiksha then only the samadhana the question of samadhi comes concentration of mind comes these are very universal teachings even in the bible you will find that if you have some quarrel with your brother first go and uh, dissolve it first just have some uh, agreement with him and then only you come to offer something in the altar without 
having without having made some agreement, without having dissolved the quarrel, if you come and offer to the if you offer something in the altar of the divine, it won't be accepted. So this is the idea which we find in the Bible, which is the same. The same thing, if through titiksha you have not taken care of your external circumstances, there cannot be samadhan. You cannot think of concentration. Your mind is agitated. With an agitated mind, the mind agitated by the sensual pleasures as well as by the all the sufferings. With that mind, what are how can you just think of concentration? You have not just had the basic preparation. That in the evening I come back from my work, uh, work and think that okay, let me sit for meditation. But I have not taken care of my mind throughout the day. I was just busy uh, in getting engaged with the quarrels, with the little pleasures of life. Mind is totally disturbed. With that mind, suddenly I think I will shut off everything and sit for meditation. How can it happen? Throughout the day, I have to take care of my mind, prepare through all the first four practices, Sama, Dhamma, Uparati, Titiksha. Then only the question of Samadhana comes. I can really have think of some qualitative meditation only when the mind has been prepared for those practices. And the sixth practice is the Sraddha. It's very important. Now, when we are speaking of all these word things, if we generally, when those who are listening, they're already uh, having some inclination towards the study of scriptures. But if we can, if we are just going to speak these same words, which you may find very meaningful, if I just speak at large, there will be many, they will say, it's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. So if you think it's all nonsense, then all these practices does have, at the very beginning, you will never give any importance to them. There is no meaning of all those practices. Sraddha speaks of that. The way, if I have to learn anything, first that respect should be there. Swami Vivekananda is, say, is to say a very interesting thing, that we all are superstitious. Superstitions work in some way or other. And he used to give a very nice example that if to this present uh, generation, in the young generation, you go and say, in his days he was saying that the Newton has said something, or any scientist now, if, if the present day scientist said Einstein has some, said something, Swamiji is saying there is no need to add salt. You will just have it even without salt. And nothing, no spices required. But if you say Patanjali has said it, immediately will brush it off. Or if you say it has been said by these are the things which our Vyasa had been, Patanjali had told, immediately brush it off. Swamiji is saying, is it not superstition? That here, how come we acquire the knowledge? Through Sraddha. Without Sraddha, no knowledge is possible. Just, just say a student who is in the primary level. You say is, that this is the equation of Einstein. E is equal to mc squared. You let us just take that. And if the child asks, how is it? And you say that only when you go to the higher class, then only we can explain. Now you have to take, in, take it as a working principle. And just go on studying get promoted to higher and higher classes. When you go to the higher, this university level, then you will be capable to understand. So all for all the knowledge, what's, what's there? Sraddha is working. That faith in the 
words of the teacher and faith in the word of the scriptures. That's what's the shraddha. Faith in the word of the scriptures, even in our day-to-day -day life. Faith in the word, in the books, the authentic textbook, which the teacher speaks. I believe that. Then only I can proceed. Gradually, all the misunderstandings gets clarified as I evolve. But as per the study of the scripture is concerned, first of all, we, if we brush off, then all these uh, practices have no meaning. It can never even, we can never even take the first step. So that's why that Shraddha has been spoken of, the faith in the words of the Guru as well as in the scriptures. It's everywhere we require. When I have some ailment, I go to the doctor. Doctor just uh, prescribes some medicine. And I start taking it. Do I say that, oh, doctor, first you have to explain me the intricacies of the medical science to uh, understand that how the medicine really works. Unless you explain, I won't take medicine. Do we really do that? No. We have the faith that the doctor is an authentic doctor. Why? He has studied the authentic course, well-researched course, the medical science he has studied. And once he has get, he is having the certificate, he's a certified doctor. He is the representation of that authentic course which he has studied. And we simply with faith go to him and whatever he prescribes, we just follow. And we get cured. So to get cured of the disease called worldliness, we have to go to the Bhavaroga Vaidya. The spiritual teacher is a doctor of Bhavaroga. He is the authentic person. He has studied the scripture. And he has practiced what is spoken of in the scripture. He has formed his life based on that. So now with faith, unless I go and give importance to what he says, with all these practices, I will never start itself because that won't have any meaning. So that's why the Shraddha is the sixth thing which anchors all the other five practices without which all the five practices Will just, will just collapse and fall off. So this Shraddha is the thing which anchors all the six practices. So these, this Samadhamadhi Shat Sampati, one has to have already been established to certain extent in all these practices. And the fourth practice, the last, first was Viveka, second Vairagya, third is the six practices which we were describing till now, Sama, Dharma, Uparati, Titiksha, Samadhana Sraddha. And the fourth, the last is Mumukshatva. Intense yearning for liberation. Unless I have developed that, again, all these practices have no meaning. It's just, it will become just mechanical. The intense yearning can really make those practices meaningful. Yame Vaisha Brinute Tena as has been spoken of in Kathopanishad. The one who has chosen, who has, that the Bhakti scriptures say that whom the God has chosen, he only can be liberated. But Shankaracharya interprets again in a different way. The one who has chosen to lead this type of life with full yearning, he, only, he alone can be liberated. You can take the horse to the water, but if the horse doesn't drink, it's of no avail taking the horse to the water. So at last, 
it is you who have to yearn for. Even in the Bhakti Shastra, in other places we find that's what has been indicated. That Sri Ramakrishna will be again making fun of words by quoting some of the scriptures. That what Ami Dilem Toreji Mantur, that I have given you a mantra. Akhon Monto. Now the mind is yours. That mantra is of no avail unless you have that yearning to really practice the mantra. It is no meaning. So Mumukshutra, that yearning for liberation. If you have that, then all these practices become meaningful. So with these practices, you have that yearning deep in your heart. You really want to get established in the spiritual dimension of your existence. You are fed up to be just buffeted in the waves of this phenomenal existence. Just for some time, I'm in the peak of ecstasy and bliss, and again, I'm full of sorrow. That's what is going on through eternity, and nothing is there I can hold on to. I'm as if in, in a hedonistic treadmill, ever running, never reaching, not a distant glimpse of shore. That's the words of Swami Vivekananda. All or eternal chasing doesn't take us anywhere. It takes us nowhere. So this eternal chase after the sensual pleasures of life is like chasing an illusion. I have I got totally fed up. I really want something tangible on to hold on to through eternity. That alone can give me satisfaction. That alone can uh, give me a sense of purpose. If that has become a yearning, then uh, uh, other practices are bound to follow. And those practices can really start bearing fruit in our life. So this, now you will understand that in one word of this entire thing has been, uh, has been encrypted. What is that word? Vidhivat. In the word Vidhivat, this, all these practices are as if encrypted. So that's why we have to understand that word Vidhivat in its real uh, sense. That all these practices, with this, I have developed certain capacity, capability. The one who doesn't give any importance to this, what that the scripture has no meaning. The one who has not developed the yearning, has no, the scripture has no meaning. So that's why the speak of this, that Shona, when he approaches Guru, he was already equipped with all these characteristics. And then he's proceeding and asking that pertinent question, that is there anything by knowing which everything becomes known. So we will continue from that's the second line of this sloka again in the next class. What's the import of that question? Why he is asking that question? And after that, what is the instruction that follows in the succeeding mantras? We will again continue with the study of that in the next class. Thank you all.